I'd like for you to turn to the fifth chapter of the book of James. Verse 19, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I, I don't have a burden for lost people like I should, but I do have to some degree a burden for lost people. I, I pray for a greater burden, for a broken heart, um, for the lost. And I, I, I must confess that, that in my old heart gets cold as well as yours, and we lose that yearning and that burning to see lost people saved. And I pray for renewal in my own heart to have a greater compassion and greater concern to see the, the lost saved. And I do have a burden tonight, um, perhaps as great a burden, for the saved who are lost. And I think that one of the things that causes me the greatest grief is the fact that there are so many people who used to walk with the Lord who no longer walk with Him. And I think that there is no greater sorrow than the sorrow of someone coming up to you and saying, well, you know, old so-and-so or Mrs. so-and-so used to be so active and so uh, you know, involved in the life and ministry of the church and they've just quit and they've just walked away to walk with us no more. And so I, I do have a burden about the fact tonight that, that there are many people who make up the membership of this church who no longer walk with us, who no longer serve God. I mean, some who have come to Christ since I've been here as pastor, I no longer see them. And I, I bur I'm burdened about that. And, and I do think there is a ministry tonight that we have neglected within the church, and that is the ministry of reclaiming the saved. That is, saving the saved and going to, to, to win back, to turn back those who have walked away to walk no more. There is a ministry in the church long forgotten and neglected that, 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 that concerns that. That's what this is about tonight. Saving the saved are reclaiming those who have, who, have, who have gone away, who walk no more. You know them? And it seems like th this might be a relevant message tonight as we try to get out and, and visit tomorrow night and, and, and get absentees and, and, you know, and focus on a high attendance. All of that is peripheral to the fact that there are people who have once stood with us who stand no more. And all of that's peripheral to the fact that there are some people who have made claims and commitments in this fellowship who have strayed from the truth of the gospel. And those are the people I want us to be burdened about tonight. And those are the people I want us to try to reclaim. Now it's an interesting comparison when you compare James with Jesus. After all, they were half-brothers. I want to show you part of that comparison in the fourth chapter, verse 
11, look at, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law, judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is one, only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? That's what James said. I'm going to show what Jesus said. It sounds very similar to that. It's found in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, beginning at verse 1. Let me read through verse 5. Do not judge lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye? You know, what, what, what's happening here is that, that oftentimes when we, when we think about those who have strayed from the truth and we want to reclaim them, I always hear this, well, who are we to judge somebody? You know, I mean, God tells us not to judge. Look at verse five. Do not, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Then, look at this, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And he does give latitude for taking specks out of the brother's eye, see. He doesn't say it's wrong to try to take the speck out of the brother's eye. He's saying that you need to be very careful when you do that to be aware that you are not perfect yourself, you see. It's not the fact that it's wrong to do that, to, to reclaim those who have strayed from the truth. He's just saying you need to be very careful when you go about that ministry and understand that you're not perfect yourself. What he's talking about is that, that what we're, when we talk about redeeming the redeemed or saving the saved, this is an extremely sensitive matter. There's nothing more sensitive than the eye. About 15 years ago, I got something wrong with one of my eyes. I had a growth on it. And I decided I better get something done. I took, went to an, to an ophthalmologist over in Amarillo and he sat me down and gave me a lot of encouragement. He said, this is gonna hurt like the Dickens. Well, that's what I was afraid of. He said, there's no pain worse than eye pain except bone pain. He said, it's the second greatest pain. Get ready for this. And he laid a needle down on a big old counter deal that he had there, and I just kind of cleared my throat. I said, what are you going to do with that? He said, I'm going to stick it in your eyeball. It's going to hurt. And I thought he was kidding. <laughs> Guess what he did with that needle? Stuck it in my eyeball. Now, I can see some of you grimace and flinch. I mean, at the very thought of that, it's painful. There's nothing like eye pain. What we're talking about tonight is like walking through a field charged with mines. Some people are feel like they're called to be judge and jury. They're called to criticism. We are not called to judge and we're not called to criticism. We're called to do spiritual eye surgery. We're called to redeem the redeemed. And I hope before this is over that some of you will have a burden to do that. I hope this is before it's over, some of us will learn how we can do that and we'll make it a point to reclaim those that have strayed. Four questions that need to be asked from this text. The first question is to whom are these words addressed? 
Now there are some people who say, well, he's talking about lost people here. And he's, he's saying that we're going to, we're, if you're saving some soul from death, he's talking about going out and winning the lost. He's not talking about lost people. In verse 19, he refers to the brethren. He's talking about Christian brethren. And he's talking about those who have been among us within the fellowship of the Christian community. He's talking about Christian people who have strayed. That's who he's talking about. Second question, what has occurred? Well, someone has strayed from the truth. They've strayed, means someone is leaving something they once knew. A lost man was not a part of the truth. And a guy can come into church on Sunday morning or Sunday night and listen to preaching and he can go away. He's, he's not talking about that. He's talking about people who have been a part of the fellowship of God, who have claimed Christ as Savior. Now what has he left? James says that he's left the truth, that is the truth of the Scripture. And the interesting thing about this Greek construction is, is that it says this, he himself has strayed from the truth. And the emphasis is the, in the fact that he has made a choice himself to stray from the truth. Now, you know, sometimes when you get to talking to people like um, people that you're thinking of right now who used to be a part and no longer a part, they, they lay all the blame, you know, they lay the blame on all kinds of things. I mean, I, you know, I used to be like, I don't like the preacher. Preaches too long, loud. I, I don't like the hip, you know, those people down there that hurt my feelings. I don't like Sunday school, so I just got to, you know, all these kinds of excuses that people lay on us, lay all that trash on us. The fact is that one who has strayed from the truth has chosen, and he can blame nobody but himself for leaving the truth. Well, what has he done? What, what needs to be done, rather? He says that we need to turn them back. It's one word, it comes from a, from, a term, from, a, from a term that means to turn around. Someone going in one direction and causing them to turn back to another direction. It's restoration, really. Restoration. Uh, a few months ago, a lady by the name of Beverly Elliott um, got concerned about her son. She hadn't seen him in four years. She knew he was out in Los Angeles somewhere living on the street, she'd heard. So she contacted the district attorney in the city of Los Angeles and, and the sheriff's office and they looked for him with, with no success. So she ran an, an, an ad in the classified section of the Los Angeles Times. His name was Russell Love. She said, Russell Love, your mother wants you to call her collect gave the number, business number and home number. And then had a little addendum, a little postscript. Russell, I love you and I'll never forget you. Please come home. And a guy by the name of Ralph Campbell was reading the classified section. He'd lived on the streets for 25 years in Los Angeles. He thought he knew who that was. One day he was eating some sandwiches and he had some extra ones and he, he handed an extra sandwich he had to a, to, a, to a friend of his and he remembered that this friend broke that sandwich in half and turned to his friend and said, Russ, would you like a piece of a sandwich? And, and he said, That's, that might be that guy. 
So he contacted the Los Angeles Police Department and they went out to a little, little hovel where some street folks lived and they went up to this cardboard box and they found this guy lying in, a, in, in there sleeping in a bright orange sleeping bag. And they woke him up and said, are you Russell Love? He said, yeah, I am. And, 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 and they said, well, your mother wants you to call her collect. And they handed him his newspaper. And they turned around and left and Russell Love picked up his newspaper, put it under his arm, rolled up his sleeping bag and walked down the street and called his mother for the first time in four years. He called her four times in one month. The last time he called her, she said, Russell, I've saved enough money to send you a plane ticket. Would you come home? The long and short of it is Russell Love came home. That's, that's restoration. Somehow... There needs to be this communication to the people who, have, who, who are out on the street, I mean, who have left the truth. Hey, we love you and we want you back. See? And somehow we want to turn you around from where you're going and set you back on the direction you used to be. It's called restoration. Operation Restoration. Anybody doing it? I mean, young people? I mean, no, none of us are exempt from the fact that we have these friends and these colleagues who, have, who are somewhere we hadn't seen in four years, you know, as far as the, related to the church. And I love George MacDonald's new book on recovering from a broken world, the recovery of a broken life. And he tells in this marvelous book, about seeing a story in the Journal of the American Medical Association of a woman by the name of Jane McAdams. And Jane McAdams had a, had a mother who was 62 years old and she'd gone through the depression so she learned how to live frugally. She was tight, in other words. And he said all she had, she'd bought that was really, you know, for herself was a, was a kind of a frilly gown and she put it in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a chest of drawers somewhere in case she ever had to go to the hospital. And the time came, she had to go to the hospital. In fact, all the symptoms indicated that she had cancer and was probably going to die. And so she packed her mother up and was taken to the hospital and that, with that gown. And, and, and she was thinking to herself, can I, can I say anything that will give her hope? I mean, is there any hope? She's probably going to die. So she thought, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy her a brand new gown. That old gown has gotten yellow in the bottom of that chest of drawers. I'm going to go get her a new gown and a new robe and give that to her. And so he said, she said, I brought it in, wrapped up, and she opened it up, looked at it a little bit, and said, would you take this back? I don't really want this. She said, there is something I would like for you to get. And she pointed in the newspaper, at a newspaper ad advertisement of some summer purses that were on sale. Now here it was in the dead winter time and she thought to herself, oh, why would my mother want a purse that she couldn't use for six months and probably going to die before that? Then listen how she finishes this story. Are you listening? My reaction was one of disbelief. Why would my mother, so careful about extravagance, want an expensive summer purse in January that she could probably not use until June? She, she would not even live until spring, let alone summer. Almost immediately I was ashamed and appalled at my clumsiness, ignorance, insensitivity, call it what you will. With a shock, I realized she was finally asking me what I thought about her illness. She was asking me how long she would live. She, she was in fact 
asking me if I thought she would live even six months. And she was telling me that if I showed I believed she would live until then, then she would. She would not let that expensive purse go unused. She's too frugal. That day I returned the gown and the robe and I brought the summer purse. That was many years ago. The purse is worn out and long gone as are at least a half a dozen others. And next week my mother flies to California to celebrate her 83rd birthday. My gift to her, the most expensive designer purse I could find and she'll use it well. You know what Jane McAdams is saying? He's saying that, 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 that some of us have a ministry of, of buying summer purses for some folks. That is, somehow helping them to see that we, 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 we believe in them and we love them and we want them back. And that's our way of encouragement. I mean, it's the ring you put back on the finger and it's the robe they dress the prodigal in and it's the new shoes you put on their feet. I'm talking about this ministry of restoration. It's turning them back. It's giving them hope. It's saying, I love you. Now there's, a, there's a, a way that you have to go about it. I want you to turn to the sixth chapter of Galatians, if you will, and there's the guidelines on how to do it. Look, it says, brethren, verse one, if any man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted so that there must be a wedding between action and attitude. I mean, you don't just go up and rebuke a person. There are three things that are necessary. Watch this. One, before you get involved in this ministry, you yourself must be spirit-filled. Let he who is spiritual, you who are spiritual, so walking in dependence on the Spirit of God, so close to God that you're a voice, a mouthpiece for God. Secondly, you must do it in a spirit of gentleness. This is no place for fools to rush in. There is no one who is any more sensitive than a carnal Christian. The book of Proverbs says, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And third, there must be an attitude of humility. Don't go thinking that you are superior. Go reminded that were it not for the grace of God, you'd be there where they are and probably have been where they are. A spirit of humility. Ken Chafin, when he was pastor at the uh, South Main Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, tells about the time that one of his staff member's son became involved in the drug scene and got in real some big time trouble. And he said one of his staff members stood up one Wednesday night and just told about it with a broken heart. And he said, when we heard about our son and what he'd done and how it broke our heart, he said, we looked at one another and when we thought, who can we go to, who can we tell this and would, that would understand? He said, we immediately thought of you first. I know some people 
that could stand to say tonight, if I get in trouble, the folks at church would be the last people I'd want to know about. Somebody said that the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. Surely it ought to be that there is such a spirit of humility and compassion and concern among the fellowship of this church that when trouble comes, that member of the congregation would want to say, I want to go to the church people, first of all. They would understand and they would care and they would be burdened about it. Somehow I don't know that we've really understood that we're a hospital down here and we're medics, really, caring for the wounded. Can you picture this scenario? Somebody's checking out Saturday afternoon and Winn-Dixie or Homeland or Best Jet or whatever, I'm gonna leave anybody out. They're checking out at Homeland and they're in line. And the guy says to the person in front of him, he says, uh, we're just new in town. We want to know, kind of know what's, you know, what's available here. Uh, do y'all have a hospital that cares for the wounded? The guy in the line says, we sure do. We have a great hospital. And well, where is it? And the guy says, well, it's down on 2nd and Evergreen. Now it's not the place where you go for, you know, for uh, x-rays and, and all of that, but if you want to go somewhere where people bind up the wounded and love the sick and care for the hurting, if you want to go where people will care for you in a loving, redeeming way. Let me tell you about this place that meets together down at 2nd and Evergreen, Durant. I would, I would to God that could be said of us. Operation Restoration, what are the results? He said there are two results. If you redeem the redeemed, if you, saved, if you save the saved, two things are going to happen. One is that you're going to save a soul from death. He could mean that if that person continues to stray, his life will be shortened. I do believe that there is a sin unto death, that Christian people can stray and, and continue to live in disobedience to God and in rebellion against God's will, and God takes them out of this life prematurely. He could be talking about that, but he could be talking about death in a broader sense, in the sense of a death-like existence, because the person who is outside the will of God is the most miserable man on earth. Now let me tell you about the person who is strayed from the truth. He's the most miserable man in Durant tonight. I can promise you that. You know what I'm talking about? Because once you've tasted of the Lord, and once you've been in God's presence, where God's people are, and once you've had fellowship with Christian people, and you stray from that, and you walk away from that, you'll never be the same again. You'll never be fully happy. You're the most miserable man. There are people watching tonight on television who live a death-like existence, 
because they've never followed through on promises made to God and they've walked away from the truth. And he said, secondly, that if you redeem the redeemed, you will cover a multitude of sins. You know what he's saying? He's saying that it's just like a pebble dropped in a pool of water when somebody strays from the truth. That influence moves out negatively and touches everybody that is out there. And if you win that person back, you cover a multitude of sins. You prevent a multitude of sins. Now the summary, three things. There are occasions when we're to be involved in the removing of specks. There are occasions when you and I are to be involved in the removing of specks. Now, I, I'm, I believe that if you begin to recognize that God has planted you where you are, and you begin to thank God for that and praise Him for the fact that you are where you are, God's going to send people by for you to care for and minister, minister to. I can promise you this, young people, adults, tomorrow you may spend a great part of your day and never come into contact with a lost person. Many times we do that. But you will hardly ever spend a day that you don't come into contact with people who have quit walking with the Lord. And if you are sensitive to tomorrow, if you'll ask God for a divine appointment, I promise you this, somewhere in your tomorrow, there's a person that needs to be redeemed, reclaimed. There are occasions when we need to remove specks. Secondly, this ministry can't be prompted by pride. If you feel like that you, you're superior and they, you know, and you need to get back down and get where I am and all that kind of stuff, you can forget it. Humility is the rule. And third, the attitude is as important as the action. And the guy put it in a poem like this, sometimes when you're feeling important, Sometimes when the ego is way up, sometimes when you take it for granted that you're the prize-winning pup, sometimes when you feel that your absence would leave an unfillable hole, just follow the simple instruction and see how it humbles your soul. Take a bucket full of water, put your hand in it up to your wrist. Now pull it out fast, and the hole that is left is the measure of how much you'll be missed. You may splash all you please as you enter and stir up water galore, but when you stop, you'll find in a minute it's right back where it was before. I mean, you don't have to feel superior. But with an attitude of humility, I hope you'll find that person who used to sit right here and right there and right there and right there and you'll join me in reclaiming the redeemed. Let's pray together. Father, 
as a family of God. Help us never to be content when there are those who have strayed away. Help us to care for those, Father, who for whatever reason have left their commitment, walked away. Give us a burden for them so that we can indeed be the church as the church was saved to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. I wonder if tonight there, are any, there is anyone who has felt today touch of God upon their heart. If you've not yet made public a decision that God has laid upon your heart to make, whether it be to claim Jesus as your own personal Savior, to come and join His church, or, or maybe just to come and renew the walk with God. Maybe to say, Lord, I, I want you to pray that I'll get a burden both for the lost, those who strayed from the truth. If you need to make public your decision, we'll give an opportunity as we stand and give invitation. Would you come?